Does God punish those who deliberately choose to violate his laws and his commandments? It's an uncomfortable question. And there is a very uncomfortable answer. Our first reading from the book of Exodus reveals a revolutionary development in the religious history of man. Moses was drawn to a very surprising sight. A bush burning, but not consumed. Moses was so captivated by the event that he was absolutely ignorant of the fact he was in the presence of the Lord's angel. And twice God spoke out, calling Moses by name, Moshe, Moshe, meaning a divine call was being made. And Moses said, Hinnani, here I am. A spontaneous response without any hint of hesitation. As Moses approached the burning bush, he was told, stop. Remove your sandals, for the ground is holy. This is the first time in the Bible that a section of earth was called holy. Not because it was special in itself, but because it bore the infinite weight of the divine presence. Moses was not in the presence of one of the Egyptian gods of stone but the one true living God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses' reaction was to do what? He hid his face. He sensed he was totally unworthy to be in the presence of the holy. And Moses was right. And it is from this we must all learn an essential lesson. God makes us worthy, no matter how unworthy we may think we are. And there followed an exchange between God and Moses, with Moses given a commission to return to Egypt to deliver the Hebrew people from the injustices they had suffered and guide them to a land that God would give them. But Moses kind of played a game with God. He asked for God's name. Who shall I say is sending me? Now, you have to understand, in the ancient world, knowing a name gave you power over the one named. You scratch my back, God, I scratch your back. Give me your name. And God said to Moses, Tell the people, Ea asher Ea, I am who I am, has sent you. It was not a proper name like those of all the false gods of Egypt that Moses was familiar with. God would not give his name because no name can contain him. No name can fully describe him. And no creature can ever have power over him. God gave his name, such as it was, in the form of the verb to be, 
revealing he is absolute being, unchanging being, being itself, being without beginning or without end, being who is the source of all that exists, being who knows what is best for the creatures he brings into existence. This one living God called Moses into a relationship with him and through Moses a chosen people. And God did this motivated by nothing other than love for man. But will man love God by obeying his commandments, designed for man's happiness, man's well-being in this life? Human beings have a tendency to take God's love for granted. We see this in the Bible's unsanitized history of the chosen people who, like us, fluctuated from being on fire with the love of God to polite acceptance and just going through the motions of a relationship with him to outright rejection of him and every behavior in between. This defect in our fallen nature compelled St. Paul to warn the church to never take our relationship with the Lord for granted, reminding us that God punishes those who put him to the test. For us pampered moderns, who love to hear nothing more than God loves us, God loves us, God loves us, this is a harsh contradiction. God is merciful. But his mercy can never be separated from his justice, and justices demand that restitution be made for our sins, that order be restored to the disorder the choice to sin has brought into our lives, and more often than not, into the lives of others. Paul rightly warns, Therefore, whoever thinks he is standing secure should take care not to fall. In other words, never take your relationship with the Lord for granted. In our gospel reading, Jesus, God in the flesh, was approached with the news that Pilate had killed a number of Galileans. Luke is the only gospel writer who mentions this incident. We know from the Jewish historian of that era, Josephus, in his books, The Antiquities of the Jews and the Jewish Wars, that Pilate was notorious for resorting immediately to violence on the slightest pretext that was a threat to Roman rule. But Jesus asked those around him, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were greater sinners than all the other Galileans? By no means. Jesus, you'll notice, made no effort whatsoever to explain why they suffered the fate that they did, just as he does not explain why you and I sometimes suffer the things that we go through. Rather, he simply warned them to repent or you will perish. Then Jesus reminded them of the 18 who had been killed when the Tower of Siloam, most likely by the temple area, fell on them, again asking, do you think that they were more guilty than everyone else who lived in Jerusalem? By no means. You see, the people assume that the victims of Pilate's wrath and those killed by the following tower were being punished by God for their sins. 
but because they were still around, they must be okay with God. And Jesus shattered those assumptions. His concern then and now is not on giving an explanation. Instead, he gives an urgent warning, motivated by divine love for man. If you do not repent, you will all perish as they did. Now, what exactly does that mean? Look at the story of the fig tree, a symbol often used for Israel. For three years, the tree did not produce any fruit. And what did the owner want to do? Cut it down. Get rid of it. Writing in the late 4th, early 5th century, St. Augustine taught that the first year was the time of the patriarchs. The second year was the time of the law and the prophets. And the third year is the now time. The time of the gospel. Each time was marked by God's concern and love for man, but also of man's ingratitude and then God's corrective love. God has been and is now very patient with man, waiting for us to produce the fruits of faith. This, however, calls for our constant conversion of our hearts, a constant moving away from sin and a turning back to God so we can grow in the graces he gives us. And this, as I said on Ash Wednesday, calls for spiritual warfare throughout the course of our lives. We may have our successes, and we are certainly all going to have our failures. But no matter what, we must always fight. Always this ongoing conversion of heart. God's patience, then, is directed to our repentance and our salvation. But there will be that moment, known only to God, when his patience comes to an end and an accounting must be given.